0: This is the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with me, Dr. Fuck, and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley. So come on and let's go and enjoy another episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast! Well, all right, it is I, Dr. Fuck, from Kaja Gugu, and with me this week is... Oh, yeah! Ian Wadley from the Ozzy Osbourne Band.
1: Yeah, I write all the shit. I'm not actually on stage. Ian,
0: you know that is true. You're 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 like Bob Daisley, but for real. Yes. And uh, Ian, I always ask you to introduce our guests, but I we have a special guest that I want to introduce this week because uh, this is a friend of mine in real life, the only friend of mine in real life that listens to our podcast actually, and the creator of the Killer Puppet video, Fractured uh, Eyes, Wake Up, spell Thrash. And what he's got going on now is incredible. And we're going to talk about it right now. Welcome, Daniel Jackson. How you doing, Dan? Not too bad. How's it going with you guys? Uh, fine, Good, man. Good. Really, really glad to have you on the show. And it's very important that we have you on the show, because uh, we got a lot to talk about. We got news and iTunes review. But we get before we get into all that, I want to talk about this project Dan started called Metal City Mayhem. That's starring me. I'm in it as Dr. Mentor. And, you know, we got uh, Ruben De La Rosa. I love that guy. Yep. In, the, in it. And uh, I asked it, I asked Ian right now to watch it. So Ian just watched it seconds ago. And he enjoyed it. He loved it. I mean, uh-huh. how can you not?
1: Oh, yeah, it's got Alex uh, Marquez. Alex Marquez. Oh, yeah, and Alex
0: Marquez. Alex Marquez, I think, got, got the most screen time in the trailer. Well, he's the biggest yeah, yeah. star. You know? yeah, that's right. That's true. But, uh, Dan, tell us, uh, tell us all about this, uh, Metal City Mayhem.
2: Uh, well, it, it kind of sprang out of the, the puppet video, kind of indirectly. It was, we made the puppet video, and then I kind of wanted to do some kind of a metal themed series. And, uh, a friend of mine is, he's a martial arts guy, and I love kung fu movies, so I thought that might be a good mix. And, uh, so we thought about doing a, a series, and b- the idea came up, we'll, well, we'll sort of base it on old video games that we grew up with. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you probably played games like Double Dragon or Final Fight, uh, basically beat 'em up games where you would, like, walk, you would basically walk from left to right and you'd be, beat up about 100 dudes to get your girlfriend back. And that's the basic premise. It's, it's basically, we're just lifting the premise of 100 different video games. But we're also throwing in a little bit of the, you know, the warriors, uh, a little bit of like kung fu movies, a little bit of, you know, a lot of heavy metal, and it's just sort of a, just, it's a mashup. But the idea is we're trying to make just a, an action comedy that's got some really good action in it because we're the goal of it was we wanted to make the action look as as good as possible. We wanted it to, to look like a legitimate movie. So that's the that's the
0: premise. Yeah. And I gotta tell you, it does look amazing. And I would really like for people to watch it. Uh, how, how how can they see it, uh, Daniel? The, the the four minute trailer.
2: Uh, well, it's on YouTube. If you if you YouTube, go to YouTube. Uh, look for Metal City Mayhem um, Kickstarter trailer. It should come up. Or just go to Kickstarter com and uh, look for Metal City Mayhem, and it should pop up. Um, I've also done, there, there, there have been a few mini trailers that we did before this, so as I was going through the footage, this took a while to do because basically we shot almost a little mini movie, and all the action sequences had to be cut, like even if we didn't do the entire an entire scene, I, cu- I had to cut the entire thing as if we shot a full movie, so it, it took a lot of months of editing, and so whenever we did like a scene, we would put that out in a little mini trailer. Uh, on you know on the road to doing this bigger one, so that's why the, the the big trailer feels like it's sort of a complete movie because there were so many little sequences that we were able to, to stick in there. Um,
0: exactly, and uh, and and now this is why I have you on the show because it's very important. Anybody out there that uh, we, we he just started a Kickstarter campaign, and the way to uh, donate is. Uh, you go on Kickstarter.com, correct correct, Daniel? Yeah. And you type in Metal City Mayhem and it'll take you there. Yep.
2: Exactly.
0: Okay, so this is this I'm gonna do this only for our listeners. Uh, for the listeners of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. If you donate over twenty bucks, I will send you a very rare Poser Holocaust promo. I only have a few of these. And please, like, write a note when you donate over twenty dollars at hey. Tell Ralph that, you know, so-and-so, give your address and I'll mail it to you. If you want me to sign it, I'll sign it. If you donate over $50, I will send you that CD plus an autographed CD of Melting Your Skull, which I only have a couple left, and an autographed copy of the Merciful Fate vinyl. And that's only for the people, our listeners for the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast because we need people to donate. Just find it in your heart. And people that don't donate, if you can at least share it, if you're broke and you can't, share it. Share it everywhere. Get the word out there, because we really need this made. And if you look at the trailer, I am 30 pounds heavier. I'm 30 pounds lighter now, and I want to look good. So please, kick fund this so we can get this done. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, Daniel, is there room for an alcoholic from New Orleans in this movie?
1: And, uh, oh, you heard that, Ian? Well, if I donate 100, can we go back in time to where I'm like 100 pounds lighter
2: and I, <laughs> and, and do my scenes? We'll do, we'll do some CGI. We'll, uh,
0: nice. Nice. We'll I can get 1.1 gigawatts. <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Uh, Daniel, uh, thanks for being here, but I want you to stick around. Uh, we got a lot of things to talk about, and we will touch upon Metal City Mayhem before you leave, but for okay. now... Uh, join us as Ian reads us our iTunes reviews. I understand we got iTunes reviews, Ian.
1: Uh, Yes, well, we have one singular, but uh, it is a five-star review. Uh, yeah. And this is from uh, somebody we know. I I take it because uh, his name is Nate. You know who I am. I don't, oh. do, do you know a Nate? I don't know a Nate.
0: Yeah, yeah. big, bushy, pussy face.
1: Oh, that guy. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, he left us a five-star review entitled Best Podcast on the Interwebs. And he says, and I quote, If hard rock and heavy metal is your life, this is the podcast for you. Brutally honest reviews of classic rock and metal albums given by two guys that are as passionate about music as any headbanger out there. Ralph and Ian always deliver and have quality guests every week. They hold nothing back, are quick-witted, and always entertaining. I've been listening for a year and a half and become a weekly listener, and have discovered some music that I missed when I was young, i.e. Sabotage. Great review with the always entertaining Bill Wang. I've listened to several podcasts, and none top the brilliance of the Rock and Metal Combat podcast. Keep up the good work. The show only keeps getting better.
0: All right, thank you, Nate. And we do have a future episode with Nate. Nate finally joined us. Yes. Uh, but, but we won't say what it was, but boy, was he drunk, huh? Woo! Kind of made, made Ian look sober, kind of. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know. I was like, I don't have a problem, you know?
0: So, all right, so what's up with the news?
1: Oh, the news. And this is something that Nate tagged me in because uh, he knew this would be part of the news. Uh, public enemy number one. You know who I'm talking about—the fucking colossal, wow. colossal douchebag that is Samuel Horatio Hoga- uh, Hagar—is added, oh, it again. Did you see this round?
0: Hey, 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 Dan, Dan, yeah. do you hate Sammy Hagar as as much as we do? I don't.
2: I don't know if I hate him as much, but I, I get the hate. Well, I, I just want to say to Daniel, uh, you'll get
1: a lot more money if you just say you hate Sammy Hagar.
0: Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Come, come on. That's right. Hey, listeners, listeners, the creator of Metal City Mayhem hates Sammy Hagar, so <laughs> that's right. All you got to do is <laughs> so donate. All you got to do
1: is say that and put more of Ruben De La Rosa in the trailer, and Miramax will buy this shit. You know, you, you'll have no worries.
0: But uh, this yeah, dude And also, if you, if you can make the va- if you can make the main villain, well, not the main villain, just the first guy that dies, call him Hagar. And kill him within the first ten seconds of the movie, and that'd be—that's a winner right there. Well, what, what, have him killed what, by somebody called Rob. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll,
2: get, no, we'll have it. We'll have him. Uh, we'll have uh, the bad guy at the end. He'll pull off his mask like Scooby-Doo, and it's Sammy Hagar.
1: Oh, oh yeah, and then and then you gotta gut that dude. You gotta like visually perform a a Cannibal Corpse song on this motherfucker. All right. Uh, well, this asshole Sammy Hagar, he's going on again, man, about. I just want to apologize to Van Halen. I just want to be friends. And it's getting so sad and pathetic. This guy cannot do one fucking interview with that shit coming up, you know? Like, you don't see Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale in every interview they do bring up Deep Purple. I mean, it does come up, but it's not everything. He is a replacement member replacing somebody he couldn't replace. Just shut up already. I know he's just... I mean, he's probably getting to the end of his life. Nobody's showing up for fucking uh, The Circle. You know, he's playing Ribfest. uh, uh Chickenfoot did just sell out some shows at a fucking casino. You know, and I, I I think he just realizes that nobody gives a shit. Here's another one. Scab G&R. Uh, Richard Fortas came out and said that he's really inspired by uh, Izzy Stradlin. And, and to me, that's a... That's an understatement, because Jesus Christ, you even look like the son of a bitch. I don't know what's worse, Tommy Thayer or this guy. I, I think this guy, because they, yeah. they went out of their way to find somebody that he actually looks just like him. But he was saying, oh, I... Come. Yeah, but
0: come on, they don't they don't have him up there singing Skin and Bone, so...
1: Fucking Marcus Welby. <laughs> I don't know, but he's just giving all this love for Izzy Stradlin. But what people really want is Izzy Stradlin and... Uh, I was let down. There was supposed to be this big announcement um, this past Monday from GNR. And I was hoping maybe, you know, they were going to add Steven and Izzy. But it turns out it's just an uh, Australian leg of the tour to happen in February. Wh- wh- when's your fucking ACDC show with him? Is that ever coming up?
0: The 30th. Oh, Yeah,
1: it's nice. the
0: 30th of, of August, uh, which is a week from this Tuesday.
1: Oh, man. Now, that that's something I'd be excited for, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I like I like Axel. I like Axel more in AC/DC than Guns N' Roses. <laughs> I'm sure Dan, you're 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 with everybody. You just hate Axel altogether. I don't
2: hate Axel. I just don't care anymore. Like I just don't. And and I it kind oh, of. Oh, were,
0: were you a Guns N' Roses fan at one point? Did you like? I him? I, I wasn't. Nah, I I
2: don't know. Like I I I like them just about as much as anybody else. But I, I was never a super fan. Um. And right. but I you know he was a he was a great performer. The band was great. You know, I have no problems with any of that. It just, you know, it kind of bums me out just as I'm just loving ACDC over the years. It just bums me out what happened with that. i don't I don't have any personal information about what went down in the band. it just it it sucks. It really sucks because i I like Brian Johnson and to see to see him kind of get kicked to the curb. I know he had you know his he hearing problems, but I don't know, it sucks. So this is what it is.
0: Man, Dan, you... it, 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 the.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, was, I was just gonna say you can't commit to hit, to hate for Sammy Hagar. You can't com- commit to hate for Axl Rose. Are, are you hoping these guys uh, pledge some money? <laughs> you're being nice to everybody. It's an election year. I'm not being I nice. Think, to everybody.
0: Uh, I, Dan, just Dan just doesn't hate anybody. That's his
2: problem. Oh, you're no, no, no. You
0: need to hate. <laughs>
2: Oh, no, no. You really... No. Once you get to know me more, you know I have very strong opinions about a lot of shit.
0: I do recall Dan went nuts when uh, they redid RoboCop. <laughs> oh, that was yeah, terrible. That I remember now. That was yeah,
2: terrible. Yeah. I that's, do remember that. Yeah, because that that's one of my Dan, favorite movies.
0: Dan's not a fan of... Yeah, he's not a fan of remakes. I, of I, of, I, of I, beloved I, movies.
2: I hated the general idea of it, then I saw it, and I was... I didn't hate it as much when I saw it but I was just so I just thought it was so mediocre that that it was almost like okay when you make something and you make something that's mediocre as opposed to just being like outright horrible sometimes being outright horrible is better because if you're if you make something that's so fucking bad that it's like people go oh, you have to watch it it's so bad at least then you remember it you know, you remember Ed Wood because he made really shitty movies back in the day. But you remember them because they were so bad that they kind of came around and became good again. If you make something that's mediocre, it'll be forgotten for all time. And if you make something great, it'll be remembered. So you you kind of have to either make something great or make something so fucking bad that everybody just has to sh- you know you have to show it to your friends because it's that that's it's that bad.
1: Well, that so, that makes a lot of sense. That's almost like uh, you know, Kiss. You know, the elder was so fucking bad, but quite possibly Hot in the Shade is worse, but people remember the Elder and forget Hot in the Shade because the Elder was that fucking epically bad. Where hot in
2: the shade was just hey. boring. What? I, I got roped, I got roped into one of these these elder conversations. <laughs> are
1: you an are you are you an elder fan?
2: You know what? I don't think I've ever actually sat and listened to it. I, I gotta actually sit and listen uh, to it. I don't it. think
0: I yeah. You probably you probably won't like it, Dan. I know it's an, uh, it's but uh, a I lo- I love it.
1: Dan, what what are your favorite bands?
0: Like just a couple um, of what? your
1: like all time favorites.
2: Uh, Motorhead's my favorite.
0: Motorhead, I know. Yeah. Nice. Uh,
2: all right. Thrasher Die. Um yeah, Thrasher Die. <laughs> um, <laughs> I it, I have to be if I spent like eight months making a puppet video for you. Um, uh, let's see. <laughs> oh god I love a lot well I love a lot of thrash I love like overkill nice uh uh let's see I love old old iron maiden I love like metallica like you know before before uh the the nastiness started um let's see megadeth um deep purple yeah like I I like a lot of old shit
0: alright oh cool Ian I don't know if you have this in your news but I saw this yesterday uh Metallica has some documentary coming out. Did you see this?
1: Yeah, it's like a four-part, uh, like mini documentary. That's going to be something. For, it's something for Spotify, and it's going to be on there. Yeah, but how,
0: okay. I don't get it. How can you view it on Spotify?
1: Well, precisely. I I think. I mean, I don't fuck with Spotify, so I don't know. But I mean, they must have a website. Yeah, me either. I don't know. Yeah. So maybe if you go on Spotify's website. You know, I, I, I have no idea. You know?
0: Yeah, Spotify sends me pennies every week, every month. Right. I get a couple pennies from that. From, like, the hundreds of people that listen to my music, I get pennies. So... Not be, that I'm complaining, fuck it.
2: Right. Go ahead, Is it supposed to be about making of their new album or something? No, or no, it? It, it's... No, fun-
0: no. This... Go ahead. It's all early material. Like, it's, like, in four different episodes. The first episode is pre-Cliff Burton... And then, uh, you know, then the episode's that I think it's all the way up to when Cliff Burton dies, right? It's even before, I think it only goes up to Master of Puppets. This uh, It looks interesting because there is a clip of it on uh, on Blabbermouth uh, where, you know, James like, oh, yeah, when I first met Lars, he was a smelly European kid. And he introduced me to a whole new world of music. It, it, and it looked very well done. You know, it sh- they showed a lot of clips, like early clips and Cool, rare pictures and stuff. I want to see it, you know, because I'm a, I'm always gonna love that early stuff.
1: I do, I do too, but I mean, I was so interested when I when I saw that I didn't even click it. I was just like, oh yeah, Spotify. Oh, I don't even fuck with Spotify. next, but uh, dude, I, I mean, if it's good, I'll check it out.
0: And that's
2: cool. You
1: were that's saying, cool. Daniel?
2: No, uh, it sounds like the the Twisted Sister documentary where they stopped right at when they hit when they hit the big time.
1: Right, horrible yeah. decision in my opinion.
2: I I, well, I, uh, I, I, I get it because it well it leaves them open. They could they could technically do a bigger documentary about that era, and and also I think, as as somebody who makes who is sort of a filmmaker, um, I, I get that decision because it's sort of like you're challenging yourself to try to tell an interesting story before, before these guys blew up. So that and there was apparent there's a whole decade of story to tell in that time so i i get the decision but i understand why people were kind of disappointed that they didn't get to see you know the mtv era but now they that leaves them open they can do a whole new documentary on that
0: right but, but they've even and said i gotta say I thoroughly enjoyed it i i bought it i enjoyed it i thought it was well made i don't have no problems with it because here's the thing and i think i discussed this already on the podcast by the time they got to under the blade on that we are twisted fucking sister it pretty much mirrored behind the music because the behind the music has from, you know, they what is it, like maybe three minutes of the club scene then uh, under the blade all the way up to, you know, the demise of it. So if you were to watch We Are Twisted's fucking sister and then watch behind the music right after it, you can get a good fucking summary because that behind the music is great. I mean, I mean, they, it's dirt. It's dirty with animals saying, you know, I-, I wish D was dead. Could 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 bring us to bad trash. I mean, it was fucking ugly. That that behind the music was awesome. So I don't know, man. I think if you watch both of them back to back you get the full story.
1: Yeah, but those behind the musics were so fucking vanilla. I mean I know that was one of the better ones, but they go through shit so quick because I mean what you know, it's an hour show and you're looking at like forty two minutes with commercials. And I've also seen a lot of interviews with other artists where they talk about, you know, how those behind the musics were manipulated and what they focus on and, and how much they leave out because all they do is look for a sensational, you know, shit, especially in the Pantera case. But my whole thing with the Twisted Sister is they barely got that fucking made. And, and let's be realistic about, you know, how many people went out. I mean, I bought it. You bought it. But they said the only way they would do a volume two is if, you know, the first one was a huge seller. But, I, I mean, I don't see, I mean, I see, like, you know, Twisted Sisters is already kind of a niche thing as it is. It's like, God damn it, while well, you got the chance, just make the motherfucker,
2: like, six hours, you know? And, and, oh, they,
0: might, they might do they it. Might. They might. A, I think but, yeah,
2: out of money at a certain point, you, you, you can't oh, yeah. just keep... It you you have to you have to have a cutoff at some point. Oh
1: yeah, and, and they did they they had a Kickstarter uh, uh, program much like your own, you know, where where it was fan funded and you know for for so much you know of a donation, you know, you'd either get your name on the credits or you'd get this and uh, and I I mean, I mean they they barely got this one made and I just I, I don't know if it'll you know I would hope so because I would love to see the later years done in the same detail that they did these years, you know, but I, I talked to you in the past rather, you know, when I read, you know, when a band puts out their dirt book, you know, I don't start at the beginning. Cause I don't give a fuck about your teenage years. I always go to when everything went to shit and I start there. And yeah. then, and then if it's good, I it. I, I'll, I'll go back and read it, you know, cause like, like, you know, with Twisted scissors, like, I don't even care so much about stay hungry as I want to hear about fucking come out and play. You know when you went from top to bottom, and then the drama that was even more so with, you know, love is for suckers, and the, and and you know and then the, and then you know the abbreviated tour. I just I would have found that so interesting. But I I love shit. I love drama. I love the dirt. You know I I, I don't want to. I don't care who your favorite guitar player is. I don't care about the, the the you know you in a bar. You know I I want the real salacious shit. But that's just me. You know I like the Inquirer. Ah.
2: Well, I was just going to say that I think the story that they're trying to tell with this one was just that it's all about the struggle of those first years. That's the entire... It wasn't about, you know, their downfall or, you know, halacious bits. It was basically like the, the whole point of them just doing that first part of their story was look at how much bullshit we had to go through just to get to that, just to get to the MTV era. Like we went through 10 years of shit. And I and I respect that. I like that kind of story because it it's it shows. Look, you got to I because mean, yeah. a lot of people look at Twisted Sister and they just see oh they're they're the they're the band that, that wore makeup and they look goofy and what and why do we give a shit? Well, no, they actually did pay their dues. They actually were they weren't a flash in the pan. They didn't get famous just because of MTV. They got famous because they busted their ass for ten fucking years in every bar in New Jersey and in New York. Like that's why they got famous, and I think that was the the crux of the whole story was that these guys paid their dues and busted their ass, and I, I like that. And I
0: like and, it. and it was great, and it's a great story, and also how they you know they still didn't succeed till they went to England. England is where they became big. Oh yeah. Then they became big here. No, and like know, so. Like I, said, I, to, I honestly, I know I know what Ian is saying, and I understand you, Ian, but I thoroughly thoroughly recommend it. It's on Netflix for anybody that has Netflix. You can watch it on Netflix. I loved it, but I, I'm very... I've always been fascinated. See, the thing is, I've been a Twisted Sister fan before uh, Stay, uh, Stay Hungry, though I I didn't get... I didn't find out about them until You Can't Stop Rock and Roll. I didn't know about them during Under the Blade. But I was a big fan of You Can't Stop Rock and Roll, and, and everything up to that point. I was interested in i wasn't really like i didn't give a fuck really i mean it's like if it's there it's there if it's not it's not but i would love to hear the 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 thing about twisted sisters club days that shit's legend dude everybody like skid row sable uh, zebra all these bands talk about like how they would like sell out places all around the fucking uh east uh east coast and um but but record companies were like fuck them, and they really they didn't give up. They just kept going and going, and I and I wanted to hear that, and I and to me that is as it, it's not the teenage years for me. To me that was still Twisted fucking Sister, you know. And I did want to know about Twisted Sister before Dee Snyder. I I wanted to know about that that era, you know. And I got it. So I I think differently than you when it comes to that. It's like. If Quiet Riot was to make a documentary of only the Randy Rhodes years, and I'm not even a big fan of that music, I would still love to see that. I, I,
1: I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it was bad. No, I did enjoy it. I just wanted more. You know, it's it's like a fucking girl with daddy issues. Okay? You know, I don't want to be there when your dad's, you know, abandoning you. I want to be there when you start fucking trying to replace your dad. You know, that that's more interesting to me then what got you fucked up? <laughs> I wanna meet you when you're fucked up, you know. That's me. I want the slut. Right. I don't wanna you know but, okay. but that being said, it was good.
0: All uh, right. Any more stories? Yeah, I got one last
1: story and uh this this was disappointing, even though I wasn't gonna get to see the tour anyway. But uh Havoc just got thrown off the Megadeth tour. And it was
0: Yeah, yeah, and I and I heard your...
1: Go ahead. Uh, but but what it was, you know, this was uh, Megadeth and uh, Suicidal Tendencies and uh, some other band. But Havoc was opening up. Now, Havoc is a really great thrash band from, uh, from Denver. And I really enjoy their music. And, man, that was one thing when I saw Havoc was opening up. I was like, man, I would just love to see a new, young, you know, hungry thrash band, you know, out there killing it. And they were managed by um, by Mustaine's son, Justice, uh, was like 24. But he got into music management, and supposedly, what happened was they were presented a contract that they that their lawyer said, no, don't sign this. This is a horrible deal. Don't do it. And there was you know there was a stall in negotiations there. Well, Mustaine threatened. Uh, I believe Mustaine senior threatened you know, if you don't settle this with my son, I'm going to kick you off the fucking tour. And sure enough, that's what happened. And uh, it, it's unfortunate. Mustaine that...
0: denies it, by the way. He does, huh? Okay. Yeah, he just came out saying that's not true. That's bullshit. What kind of
2: douchebag names his son, Justice? Dave Mustaine? Yeah, I know. I
0: mean... <laughs> oh, you see there's Dave Mustaine. That's, that's one person that I don't like.
2: <laughs> no, I, I... Okay, I like his... <laughs> I, I think he's a douchebag, and uh, yeah, I think he's a douche.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, talented still. He will always be my favorite guitar player out of the big four. But I mean, he just does, every every time you think like, you, you know, you want to root for him because he did a good album, you know, or like, you know, like, oh yeah, Mustaine's back, but then he'll just do something like, oh, he's Dave Mustaine, <laughs> you know, like, talk, talk about a guy who constantly shoots himself in the foot through his actions and words.
2: Well, it's mostly, well, for me, it's mostly words. Every time he says something, I just want to punch him in the face. It just... like okay, okay, for instance, he said, um... Uh, what the hell? Well, every time he just says anything, it usually sounds ignorant, or it has to do with his religious beliefs, which I don't care about. But he, um... I think... I remember one time I heard him talking about the inspiration for Rust in Peace, or the name Rust in Peace. Uh, apparently, he saw it on the back of a bumper sticker. Right. And I, just the way he described it, I I just thought, hey, you fucking lame ass, like you couldn't have thought of that one yourself, like you had to get that off a bumper sticker. <laughs> but like, other times though, like, oh, the, and then he said, oh, the um, the the reason why he stopped, um, what was the song that he stopped singing because he thought it was a, a curse? Oh, uh, the Conjuring. Oh, uh, uh, the Conjuring. Conjuring. Yeah. Conjuring. So, yeah, he said he stopped singing it because if you change one or two words in it, it becomes a a, a genuine curse. Like it's a real satanic curse. You superstitious fucking idiot. Like, no. No. It's not a real curse. You don't say words and magic shit happens. What kind of medieval fucking idiot believes that kind of shit? Like, look, you're a great guitar player, just play your guitar and shut the fuck up. Whenever he talks about politics, see, this is this is angry Dan. This is yeah. I, get... I, I know. I like this. I feel like I'm the emperor, and and you're Luke Skywalker. I'm
1: glad I brought. I'm like, good. Let the hate flow through you. <laughs> this, this is what we love on this show. Yeah, I love this. Keep going, Dan. Keep going.
0: Yeah, like keep was, going. Uh,
2: well, back in the day when he was in in uh, Ireland, and he, he he heard something about the political situation in Ireland in the 80s, and he yeah. thought he knew enough to shoot off his mouth about it. And he did, and he got run out of the country. And rightly so, because he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. this one's
1: for the cause! Yeah, Yeah, like, like,
2: you you just shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up and play your music. You know, you came there to play your music. Just play your music. You know, you're not, you you know, you're not in a punk band. You're not, like, singing about politics all the time. Just, you know, if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, just keep your mouth shut. That's it. Just play your music. Well, there you go. Um, you know,
0: you know one thing about him. And I don't know if you guys know this one, because you know I've been a Mega Death fan since like the uh, well '85, mid '80s. One of the, there was a couple bizarre things he said back in the '80s. Number one, he was convinced that we would never see 1990 because Reagan was going to nuke the hell out of us, and he was also convinced that Reagan was the Antichrist because of his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six, 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 six letters and all three, three, uh. Ronald six letters Wilson six letters Reagan six letters so he's like Reagan's the antichrist and we're all gonna die in nuclear war we're not gonna make it to 1990 this was him back then so he's always been a wacky ass
1: well I you know I freaked out when I saw an interview in Hit Parader where he was like hey yeah Van Halen got Sammy Hagar this 5150 is gonna be awesome he don't know shit yeah yeah that
0: was the worst thing he said you know (laughs) and another thing that he said like I think it was behind the music or something how he would put a curse uh, and like he put a curse on a chick that that uh that shot him down, and then that girl got in an accident, and became crippled. Then he did it to somebody else, and then it's like, hey, did, I was wondering, uh, did you put a curse on Metallica too? Because you know, uh, And he won't mention that shit. You know, like so he's probably saying, oh shit, I had Cliff killed. Well, now.
1: I I you know, you know, be careful what you wish for because. Uh, you know, he might have wished they sucked and they ended up sucking, but then they sold more records. So, careful what you curse, kids.
0: Dan, give give us one more time uh, uh, how we can donate and the project, like, real quick.
2: All right, just called Metal City Mayhem, just how it sounds. Uh, It's on Kickstarter. Uh, It's also on YouTube. Uh, Actually, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube. Um, But the main one you're looking for is the the Kickstarter or the, I think I called it the... um, Official extended trailer. I don't know. It's a, it's the four minute long trailer. That's the big one. Uh, but basically, yeah, it's just it's on Kickstarter. Um, check it out. if You like it? Uh, donate. No no pressure. Just you know, we're tr- just trying to make a movie. So.
0: Or and it. share and please share. And, yeah, and share, share it share,
2: everywhere. That, that's 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 the hardest part is trying to get uh, like right now we're trying to get some press releases done and you know that that's the hardest part is trying to get people to see it. You know, so right. that's what we're. So trying it's to
0: do. up to you, everybody out there. It's up to you to spread the word. Please, uh come on, we got a killer army out there that's gonna do this for us. So please, and and watch the trailer. I'm not even telling you do it without watching the trailer. Watch the trailer and make up your own mind. If you think it's worthy enough, share it. And I and I guarantee you are gonna think it's worthy enough to share it. So check it out. Forget what how we where. The proof is in the pudding. Watch the goddamn trailer then fucking uh promote the fuck out of it please i I beg you
1: and and i'll tell you all right so daniel we we have a we have a jewish listener steven kirsch and they all know each other so i'm gonna have him talk to the weinsteins and uh we're gonna get miramax involved in this shit man we're gonna go big time.
2: big spielberg get spielberg in on that i
1: don't know if he's that big of a jew be,
2: ha- be happy with
1: the Weinsteins. Know,
2: you know. <laughs> I'll settle for the yeah. <laughs> Yo,
1: Weinsteins. You might just end up with Lloyd Kaufman. But hey, trauma rules.
2: <laughs> the, 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 the whole inspiration for this is Lloyd Kaufman. So yeah, that'd be fine.
1: Nice. Well, th- right. thank you, Dan. Well, uh, everybody, please uh, support this, share it, spread the word. And Dan, we would love to have you back for a
2: future episode as a guest host. Awesome. Yeah, just let me know. Right
0: on. All right, Dan. So let's get into our review. Uh, What are we doing? Rolling Stones, right? Goathead Soup. All right, here we go. All right, now it's time for our review of the 1973 Rolling Stones album, Goathead Soup. Uh, This is something that Ian wanted to review. Uh, I admit I am more of a casual Stones fan. I like them, but you know. I'm a big fan of exile main street but everything else i've heard is hey, I like a song here and there including this one but you know what i've listened to this um quite a bit because i knew we were going to review it so i had it sink in, walking around a lot listening to it a lot and now i feel like i can give uh a real accurate review of somebody that's listened to the sound pretty good for the last two weeks almost every day almost daily and i also own it on vinyl one of the only Album I my have on vinyl that I've, I've listened to it a lot enough to give a good uh re- review i feel maybe not as good as the because the end you've lived with this for decades right correct all right so uh any background shit you want to talk about this album
1: uh you know well my my dad had it on vinyl so i grew up with it uh listened to his vinyl bought it on uh CD, I would say, probably in the late 80s, and I just, I feel it's a lost classic uh, that got, uh, you know, kind of lost, the show. most people just know it because of Angie, uh, because it was definitely the biggest song off the album, but to me it was part of a incredible run for the Stones, I mean, I, I love all the early shit, but man, I, I think uh, you want to look at an incredible run of albums, you know. Uh, Beggar's Banquet, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street. You know, this album, uh, It's Only Rock and Roll, But I Like It. Uh, you know, I thought they suffered a little bit with Black and Blue, but, you know, from from uh, Beggar's Banquet through It's Only Rock and Roll, I think is one of the best track records of anybody in rock music. And I, I've always loved this, and it's always been a dark horse of an album. I mean, of course, Die Hard Stones fans... Uh, know it, but uh, outside of that, again, it's probably the album with Angie on it to most people. But uh, yeah, this has been a mainstay throughout my life.
0: All right, cool. You want to take uh, track one?
1: All right. Well, do you want to give any background of uh, your, your opinion on this? I,
0: I real this? like I said earlier, I'm kind of like um, I'm a casual Stones fan. I'm not. I'm not like the biggest Stones fan, but you know, I mean. There, you know, I really, uh, I I love Exile Main Street. You know, that one I listen to the most. I actually know that one really well. Right. But, you know, I mean, I know Tattoo You is more my era. And I I, I bought that one. And that was, like, probably the only Stones album I actually bought because Exile Main Street was a hand-me-down. And actually, this album, oddly enough, about two years ago, a friend of mine said, Dude, I got a bunch of vinyl. You want them? I was like, Yeah, dude. So I went there and he gave me like 50 vinyls and this was in them. Goathead Soup was in it. Oh, okay. And when I opened it, I saw it had my all time favorite Stone song, which I'll talk about when we get to it. And I said, Oh shit, my favorite Stone song is on here. So I put on the album and, you know, the first time I heard it, it wasn't like, Oh, this is garbage. But, you know, I ended up saying, Ah, the best song on here is my favorite Stone song, you know, but I didn't really, none of the songs really grabbed me, but that's because I didn't, didn't really give it a chance. So now that I did give it a chance, I I can give, an, like I said, an honest review on it, but uh, um, yeah, dude, this is an album that I just, I heard for the first time about two years ago in okay. its entirety. So I, I'm very new to this, so you're going to get kind of like maybe my opinion on this album will be different in the future because i will tell you this um this is an album i will go back and listen to now and then because i do enjoy it though there are some songs i'm i don't like too much but uh for the most part i do like it all right
1: well uh okay i'll take the first track and that is dancing with mr d and uh man do i love this fucking song uh it's got this like great swampy uh you know voodoo vibe to it and you know i always assumed Dancing with mr d i thought it was like you know dancing with the devil kind of thing but uh doing some research for the album he's also talking about uh he's talking about dancing with death and uh i i just love the way that the stones even you know they're a band from london but they can immerse themselves in like the american blues culture so much and the way you know he says uh, something about looking down at 44 in, in New York City or something, or no, something about New York City and then looking down at 44 in West Virginia, you know, which, you know, you would hear here, but, you know, uh, you wouldn't think they'd know that so much in Europe, man. And I just, I love this fucking track. It's just got that eerie vibe to it. Uh, they only played it on the 73 European tour for this, and 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 that was it, but... Holy shit, would I love to hear this live. I just think it's just, I don't know, man. There's something so awesome about this. Uh, Mick Taylor playing the slide and uh, and playing the bass as well. There is no Bill Wyman on this track. And as you'll find out, not only throughout the Stones' career, but especially on this album, there's a lot of tracks without Bill Wyman that I didn't know till years later. Uh, a lot of times the bass was played by either keith richards or mick taylor on this one it was mick taylor uh but an amazing track this was the b-side to the second single do 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 heartbreaker but uh absolutely love this track and i think it's a perfect way to start out the sound what do you think
0: love this song uh good opener cool groove uh yeah like you said it's got that voodoo vibe I, i was like thinking more satanic vibe it has a but yeah, now you say Mr. D. I was thinking Mr. Devil, you know?
1: Yeah, same, same I thought. Yeah,
0: I, th- I thought that's what it was about because the lyrics are kind of, I get, you know, like a spooky, satanic vibe from it. And, um, you know, kind of like, you know, even the album, uh, album title, you know, Goat Soup. Yes. And you go and you look and ha- you open it up and it has a goat inside the soup. It looks very evil. It looks like a black metal thing, you know? Right. So uh, that's what I was getting out of this song, like you know, very satanic tune. I like this song, and it's kind. Of, I'm kind of bummed that it didn't really survive that much in the set list, because this would be a song that, boy, if I was around back then, I would be a song I want to hear. And I would have to say it's my second favorite song on the album. Um, well, pretty much tied with another one for second place. You know, uh, as I said, my favorite Stone song on is on here, so. That would be my favorite. So, uh, yeah, I, I dig Ganton with Mr. D. Good stuff. Uh, next song, 100 Years Ago. I did a little research on this, too, Ian. Nice. Yes. And uh, this song is about, in 1973, 100 years prior, was when Mick meet met Keith. <laughs> so this is actually a, a, an autobiographical song about that. Um... <laughs> this song uh, it's a cool song I like the easy going structure of the song and to me believe it or not my favorite part of the song are the keyboards I like that that keyboard playing on it it's really cool I dig it it's you know kind of like it's got a great flow to it I think it's a beautiful tune 100 years ago another one that you know I mean the fir- the first couple times I heard it I was like yeah you know but it grew on me man and i think this is a a really nice song I, I dig it i mean i'm sorry for the half-assed review but as you know this is as new as it can get with me but i i did like this song you
1: uh well of course uh i think it's fantastic and uh another thing the stones would do besides the blues they would do their own take on american country and it kind of starts off with that country flair. And, you know, admittedly, I'm not a country fan. Um, but I like their interpretation of it. But the funny thing is, it goes from country to funk, uh, you know, with the keys. And, and the mix that, it has uh, Nicky Hopkins on piano, who plays piano on a lot of stone songs from this era. But then it goes to Billy Preston on the clavinet, which is, is, is the keys that you like. And Billy Preston, of course besides being a great artist in his own right, you know, played with the Beatles. Played with the Stones a lot during this era. And uh, I love how it changes tempos. This is another one without Bill Wyman. Keith Richards plays the bass on this, and all guitars are played by my favorite Stones guitar player, Mick Taylor. Some of our listeners may or may not know, uh, Keith Richards, you know, while, you know, he's considered like, you know, you know, he's right there with Mick Jagger. He is the rhythm guitar player. You know, original lead was Brian Jones. Uh, then it was Mick Taylor. You know, now it's Ron Wood. Uh, Keith has always been, for the most part, while a main songwriter, he was a rhythm guitar player, much like Izzy Stradlin in, in Guns N' Roses. Primary songwriter, but the rhythm guitar player. On this, every all guitars by Mick Taylor. And I just love this track. This is another one. It was only played on the first two shows of the european uh, 73 tour and uh this is like quintessential album track to me doesn't really have single potential but that doesn't mean it's a bad song but back then i mean up until i would say the mid late 80s uh you know it was it was album rock you only had so much time you know you had Basically what two sides of vinyl could contain You know most albums were around 40 minutes uh, You know and, and you had to cut off all the fat But not everything was a single and in the 70s man. There was so much freedom You, you, you did whatever you know even even looking like you know To fans of this show that are used to more like, you know, you know, kiss and Judas Priest and Black Sabbath of that era those were still Albums that had very, uh, different types of music on it. And, and this is a prime example, you know, but it is a great track and that's why it made the album. Uh, a, a mixture of country and funk. Uh, doesn't look like on paper it would work, but to my ears, it works perfect. And then we'll go into the next track, which is, uh, ah, oh shit. Coming Down Again. Yeah, Coming Down Again. Um... I love this song. This is a uh, sung by Keith Richards. It's about Anita Pollenberg, who was a German model. Uh, and she was originally Brian Jones' girlfriend. And as, as he fell deeper into, uh, into his drug addiction, she was stolen away by Keith Richards, who wasn't apologetic about it at all. You know, uh, he was really kind of a dick about it. And, and I hate buddy fuckers, man. I mean, god damn, especially in the Stones. You could have any chick, but to, to snag your own bandmates is kind of low. I still love Keith, but, uh <clears throat> you know, if you watch a lot of interviews, a lot of Stones documentaries, he's not remorse about it. He said, fuck it. The guy was all fucked up. I wanted her, and I took her. And that's what he did, and that's what the song is about. I mean, uh... You know, there's there's lyrics in it like, yeah, slip my tongue into someone else's pie. Tasting better every time he turned green and try to make me cry. Being hungry ain't no crime. Like he's telling you right there. He don't give a fuck. He wanted it and he took it. Is he uh, he
0: alluding to Brian? uh, Brian Jones being dead, like turning green
1: that. uh, Oh, no, I don't. I, I mean, by this time, I mean, Brian Jones was dead. But he's writing about, you know, the, the fruits of the relationship. I don't think... He's talking, he's talking about turning green with envy. Oh, and, uh, and uh, okay. And, and, I, I believe. I believe. And, and, and being real upset about it. But, uh, yeah, yeah he, he showed no remorse. And when Brian Jones died, uh, Keith didn't go to the funeral. Neither did did, uh, did Mick. Now, Mick was on set in Australia uh, filming the movie Ned Kelly. Uh but I still don't think that's an excuse. I think they all should have been there. He was out of the band at that point. Mick Taylor was already in. But, I mean, it was like, you know, two months after Mick Taylor was in when he died. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, Charlie Watts went. Bill Wyman went. But, uh, Did still, he quit the
0: band or they kicked him out?
1: No, no, they kicked him out. But by all accounts, Brian Jones was very much in a state of, uh, I mean, he was just so far into drugs and then when, uh, you know, prior to him leaving is when Keith stole Anita away from Brian. And that made everything worse. Right. Like, he he just didn't care about anything. He was, you know, the, the alcohol, the drugs. And they ba- just basically couldn't perform with him. But, you know, when the Stones first started, it was Brian Jones and the Rolling Stones. He was considered the pretty boy. You know, none of the Stones were good looking. You know, and, and he was considered like, you know, the the hip parader cover guy, if you would. Um, You know, and Roto, I mean, when you think about, like, you know, songs like Paint It Black, you know, Brian Jones came up with, hey, let's put some sitar on, you know, all these classic things you associate. Brian Jones was very instrumental uh, in that early era of the Stones, the same way during this era, Mick Taylor was really the genius behind his era. Uh, you know, uh, Keith and Mick are very good at songwriting, but as far as, like, adding new and different shit, they really left it to Brian Jones and Mick Taylor to add the other little extra spark. But, again, th- this song is, is about the relationship with Anita, who he would stay with for a little over a decade, and I, and I know he had a, at least a couple kids with her. But, uh, uh, again, uh, Bill Wyman does not play bass on this; Mick Taylor does it was never played live by the stones, even though it's considered to be one of the best vocal performances of Keith Richards. And, and, and Keith doesn't have what you would call, you know, like a great voice. It's very much like, almost like a Dylan or a Neil Young. It's gravelly. It's, it doesn't always sound in tune, but, uh, but there's just that emotion behind it that, that gets you past his vocal limitations. And, uh, and I, I, I do think he sounds great on this. And I, I think coming down is is a great ballad. What do you think? Uh,
0: the intro to this song shows me what Guns N' Roses was trying to do with that song Yesterday's. Uh, actually, in fact, Yesterday's was trying it to, too hard to be, to do Stones, period, you know. But this one it sounds kind of like, I mean, Yesterday sounds kind of like the song. Where this song shows how the Stones don't try. It just comes off as real. To me, I mean... I listened to Yesterday's, and it's like, you can tell. It's like, okay, let's try to do a... You know, since Guns N' Roses was called the new Rolling Stones. Right. And at that time, when they were called the new Rolling Stones, they didn't have no songs that sound like the Rolling Stones. You know, think about it. Right. So So when they did use your illusions, oh, let's do something that sounds like coming down again. Yeah. Um. I really do like the song. I would, the one complaint I would say about the song, it, I, I could... I would shave down the, the the chorus a bit because that coming down again is a little too much. But other than that, I really love the verses to the song. To me, it's like pure emotion. And uh, yeah, uh, believe it or not, I didn't even know that was Keith Richards. <laughs> you know, I wasn't reading no liner notes. I, I thought that was Mick Jagger. Uh, well, well, he he does sing like uh,
1: on the on the choruses. He does do does do background. Okay. But but the main the main vocal is key.
0: Anyway, I'll go into the next one, which is my all-time favorite Rolling Stones song. Nice. Do-do-do-do-do, Heartbreaker. Why not just call it Heartbreaker because of Led Zeppelin? I don't know. I don't know either. You know, because I always thought the song was called Heartbreaker. You know, I didn't know the whole do-do-do thing, you know. Um. This is my all-time favorite Stone song. Uh, the first verse is pretty much Cop Killer Part 1, you know. Heartbreaker with your 44 I just want to tear your soul apart. It's angry, it's pissed and I love that, dude. I love the you know, I love the shit. The second verse is about, you know, uh, some chick that dies on heroin. And it makes me think if Leonard Skinner lifted that stuck a needle in her arm line for their song That Smell. Cuz the way Mick delivers it is almost exactly how Ronnie Van Zant delivers it in That Smell. And as <laughs> And as I, uh, I said many times before, I hate horns. But the horns on this song are just perfect. It really does capture the grimy street life, as well as that the funky keyboards and just the band, period. I mean, they fucking nail it in this song. I think it's a fucking bullseye. And yeah, this song is one of those songs that would come on the radio. And I'm like, dude, I mean, Jagger's singing his ass off. And this band just firing all cylinders and this is why i mean this song everything about this song is perfect and this is why it's my all-time favorite stone song even th- before i even heard this album, i always said heartbreaker man number one song for me when it comes to the stones uh what do you think
1: uh yeah dude i couldn't agree with you more this is an amazing track
0: Um would you say it's the best song on the album or you think there's another one i do
1: oh man um it, it's hard because this is one of those albums um, i don't even think of in terms of like a a best song to me it's just like this is all pieces of a puzzle that need to be there in order to make like, like i can't picture one without the other so it's you know some it's even hard for me because i just look at it as a as a whole as a work of art but um yeah, I can't argue with you. It's it's definitely, definitely at the top. Uh, yes, it does tell two stories. Uh, the first part is actually based on a true story in New York, where a ten-year-old boy, uh, Clifford Glover, was with his father and shot by the cops because there was a report. You know, it, it's it's so funny. At the time we're recording this, you know, there's so much turmoil going on in the U.S. with You know, cops shooting people and people shooting cops and all that. Uh, But there was a report of a robbery. And they described uh, the robbers as one guy was tall and one guy was short. Well, this was a a guy and his father walking, who both happened to be black. And uh, the cops came up on him and scared him. And they started running, which I would advise nobody. If the cops come up, don't run.
0: Yeah, no shit
1: but that's what this guy and his father did because they were scared and they they shot you know who they thought was the shorter of the robbers turned out to be a 10 year old boy and 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 they weren't involved with it at all you know it, it's just it, you know and it was it was a story that made headlines and, and the stones wrote a song about it then uh like you said in the second verse uh you know, they, they talk about, you know, a, a girl on the street corner with a needle in her arm, you know, a, a young child uh, on hard drugs. And that was just part of uh, the culture back then. You, you know, heroin became real big in the early 70s. You saw a lot of people coming back from Vietnam with heroin addictions. And, and it just it got real big, especially in, you know, metropolitan areas like New York. And uh, this is something they just kind of ripped out of the headlines and made an amazing uh song about it uh with great commentary i mean whether you agree with it or not you know i mean it seems like this whole subject has a lot of people divided but uh you know you're either on the side of the cops or you're on the side you know of of, of who got killed but i'm on the side of the cops but 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 either way i think you can appreciate the song and and the emotion and the story
0: it tells uh well in this in this in this instant i'm not inside of the cops i'm just saying What's going on today, man? Right. You know, it's like, dude, the, these people are... Well, You know, I saw somebody say it brilliantly. If somebody breaks into your house, what are you going to do, call a crackhead or a cop? You know? Yeah.
1: No, no, no. I, I understand that, you know, but
0: every... You know, every- They're shitty cops, but you know what? They're shitty butchers. They're right. Shit, they're shitty... Every kind of line of work there is, there's somebody shitting there. But for the most part, man, let me tell you, man, I... Every time I got stopped by a cop, and I am not really a friendly looking dude. I got the long hair, I look like a ruffian, but you know, I mean, but I'm not, you know. But uh, cops stop me all the time because of the way I look. Now, what do I do? I respect them, they ask me any question, I answer them, I, you know, I give them my ID, they run it off, they run it off on their little thing, they see I'm okay, and they let me go. And I might have been stopped by crooked, fucked up cops. That still let me go. And the reason they let me go is because I'm respectful. Now, if you're gonna be a, dispre- a, dis- a disrespectful prick to a prick cop, then you're in for a world of trouble. And even cops that are good, if you're disrespectful, they ain't gonna be—they ain't gonna look down on you so good. So, anybody out there listening that hates cops, why don't you just respect them? And you'll see, you won't—nothing will happen to you.
1: Well, you know, I, I have found uh, that to be true. Uh, you know, I, I've been hassled by the cops a lot as well. And i I found, if you're honest with them, like one time I got pulled over uh, driving drunk as shit. And I told the cop I had been drinking. And I, I said, look, I made a wrong turn in a bad neighborhood. I got I got pulled over for driving the wrong way down a one-way street. I said... Look, I ended up in a bad neighborhood. I got scared, and I was just trying to get to a main road. But, I, you know, I even let him know I had a couple beers. And he let me go. But here's another now, thing. that's a
0: bad cop. You should have got thrown in a slammer, Trump <laughs> driver.
1: Here, here's another thing. I don't do it anymore. Trust me. Uh, I learned my lesson. But, uh, you know, here's another thing I think does come into play, whether a lot of people admit it or not. Uh, I appear to be white. Even you could pass as white. Uh, ch-
0: <laughs> ch- chances are. Uh, Believe me, dude, you know, I may be Cuban, but uh, uh, every Cuban guy, every Cuban person in Miami thinks I'm American. Like they see me, they go, Can I help you? You know? <laughs> they, they, and then I go, No, you hablo and they They're like, Wow! You know?
1: Yeah, no, I know. I'm just making a joke, but. Uh, what I'm saying is, I, I think there is a, a, a prejudice, and you, you even mentioned another episode uh, where if you see a young, you know, black guy walking down one side of the street and you see a little old white lady on the other side of the street, you're going to jump on the side of the white lady.
0: Yes, I am. And, and, I,
1: and I think,
0: unfortunately, cops are the same. Now, here's where. Well, you know what? He, well, well, hold on. Hold on. And, Hear but, me out. I'll, I'll just say this real quick. If it's a black guy in a suit, I wouldn't mind. But if it's a thug with his pants down to his ankles, yeah. I'm going to choose the old lady. But go ahead. Sorry.
1: Right. Uh, But what I'm saying is uh, I I believe the cops have have a uh, pre-prejudice as well. Now, one thing that won't help is if, like what you said, you have an attitude. Now, if you have a combative attitude, uh, yeah, that's really not going to help your case. Is it fair? No. Is it realistic? Yes. Uh, But unfortunately, you have something like, you know, and granted, I don't know all the facts. I'm going by what I've heard on TV, but you have, like, the incident in Minnesota. You know, a lot of people are talking about what happened here in Baton Rouge in Louisiana, but in Minnesota, you had somebody who got pulled over, a black guy, and he said to the cop, hey, I have a gun. I have a concealed weapon. I have a permit I'm reaching for my wallet he stated all this stuff still got shot six times yeah you
0: see now that's not right that I'm against 100 right, right right and but but still
1: uh I, I'm going on the information I'm giving and, and and with the media these days I don't trust half I don't even trust half of what I see let alone what I hear that is true now, yeah. now you have this case in Baton Rouge now i see video what i've seen the cops already have him on the ground okay i don't see what happened before that now does this did <laughs> this guy, did yeah. this guy you, you know did some bad shit happen before that you know is there a reason why he's on the ground i don't know so i honestly in my heart cannot tell you i the know same what they-
0: thing as rodney king remember the rodney I- king video
1: Right, and th- and then what you come to find out later. and Now, I am not saying this is the same situation, but Rodney King was very combative with the cops and yeah. fought the cops. But by the time somebody starts filming it, that's already transpired. Yeah. Now, like I said, I do not know, so I can't say honestly. Again, we're going by what we're told, and and you definitely can't trust the media. But that 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 thing swings both ways. That means there might have been worse shit that you didn't see. But anyway, you know, we're, we're getting off topic of the song, but, you know, incidences like this is what the song reflecting. And I think it's very powerful. Uh, this was the second single off the album, but didn't near, near as well as the first one uh, that went to number one. This only went to number 15 on the charts. and uh, But, oh, my God, you're absolutely right about the horns. Like, you know... A band like Aerosmith can kill horns. In the 70s, they were a lot better with them. But in the 80s and 90s, they were horrible with them. But they do work perfect on this. And then you do have those beautiful uh, keyboards played on the clavinet by Billy Preston once again. And he's also playing them through a
0: wah-wah pedal. Yeah, that that sells it. That sells oh, the yeah. fucking song. That oh. wah-wah going on, oh my God. And and, and that, I think, I think, gives it...
1: Like you said, that gritty New York sound, it gives it that funky sound that makes you feel like you're on the wrong street in New York, you know, and and puts you right there. And it makes the song so convincing and and so effective.
0: Uh, It's one of those rare songs where you layer it with all different sounds and it works.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, Works amazing. I absolutely love it. And I can totally uh, see why this would be somebody's favorite song, but... We'll go into the next one, which is the song that everybody knows, and that's Angie. And uh, this song, uh, a lot of, uh, well, a lot of, almost all Rolling Stones songs are credited to Jagger and Richards, uh, much the way that all Beatles songs were Lennon and McCartney. But you know, as, as time goes by and you find out more, it's like there's a lot of songs that like, hey, this was straight up Lennon or this was straight up McCartney. But it's always credited as the two. Well, this song is another example. This was pretty much all written musically and lyrically by Keith Richards. But Jagger added a little bit and it became a classic. Um it's an absolute beautiful song. It is overplayed. Um and it's one of the ones, you know, when I you know, I'm going back every album I go back and listen to multiple times. To see if my mind changes on anything, and this is the one I was always like, "Oh fuck, Angie!" But then I always found myself listening to it and not skipping it, skipping it because it is an incredible, beautiful, sad song about a relationship that's just not fucking working. And there was a lot of different, uh, like stories about how it took place and and what it was about. Some people said it was about. David Bowie's first wife, Angie. Some people even said it was about Angie Dickinson, the actress. Uh, uh, Some people said it was about Keith Richards' uh, newborn daughter, who Angela was her middle name. Uh, And and Keith Richards has even changed his story a couple times about what it's about. Uh, And there's also stories about uh, that the lyrics took a turn and it was about Mick Jagger breaking up with Marianne Faithful. Uh, But the one thing they agree about is, is... richard just pulled the name angie you know it was like it just sounds right and you you hear that with a lot of songs about a girl you know just like you know uh beth was originally beck but they're like oh i don't sound right you know you got to change it and and for the for the sake of the song they just went with angie i mean it's an every girl name something everybody can relate to uh and i think that plays on the strength of the song because it's also a lament for a a relationship ending. And that's something most people can relate to. Uh, again, no Bill Wyman. So so far, we're... we're uh, or No, I'm sorry. This is the first song Bill Wyman plays on.
0: Oh, I'm so listening. he didn't play on Heartbreaker either.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I left that out. Uh, Keith Richards played bass on Heartbreaker. But this is the first song where Bill Wyman showed up for his paycheck. Uh, all the Stones play on this. Uh, now, it was cut to three minutes for the U.S. single version. Uh, That that took a lot out of, like, you know, the middle section of the solo because even though the song itself was only, like, four minutes and 33 seconds, that was considered too long for U.S. AM radio, which, I mean, FM really hadn't even taken a hold yet at this point. Uh, But that was considered too long. It was cut down to three minutes. Uh, But an um, amazing track, and and a funny side note, Uh, my parents got married when, when this was uh, released and at, at the reception for the wedding my dad made everything stop so they could turn Ed Sullivan on the TV because the Stones were going to be on playing their new single which was Angie uh, so I heard this many, this story many times and my dad always had a smile and my mother always had a frown <laughs> but uh, I, I think it works perfectly and it holds up it, it's a hit for a reason even though it is overplayed what do you think
0: uh, I love this song. Uh, when I was a, when I was younger, I didn't really care for it, because I've always been like, you know, either you were the Beatles or you're the Stones, and I was very much into the Beatles. And Angie, I was like, ah, this ain't like, you know, like, you know, like, you know, and I love her and shit like that. You know, I just felt like, eh, but man, uh, I really grown to like it. E- you know, even before I got the sound I would hear it on the radio, and what really grabbed me about this song was not so much. The lyrics are great and everything but man I love the little piano solo and the strings I think it's gorgeous it's it's instrumentally it's fucking awesome but then uh, you know listening to it now in the past couple of weeks I, I find the lyrics to be fucking amazing and uh, it's like the perfect stones ballad I mean I I would put it right underneath beast of burden because that's like my favorite stones ballad but then again like i said i'm a casual stone fan maybe they have other ballads better than both of these but um i like it i i do like the song i you know i understand why it's such a hit uh because it does have a lot of good uh, elements that uh you know and being that the stones were huge even then a song like this would put them over the top and yes angie was a song i've constantly heard on the radio but Honestly, I don't think I've heard it enough on the radio to be burnt out on it, because listening to this album, uh, Angie was just was just like every other song. It was not like something like, "Ugh, let me go to the next one," you know. So uh, yeah, and all the and through all these years, I always did think this song was about Angela Bowie. Uh, okay. okay. I I always did. I didn't. I you know. I know that now you're saying it's one of the many possibilities of what's what it's about i think i could be wrong but i think angela bowie ran around saying it was about her
1: i think she might have too
0: yeah uh she also said that she came home one day and found mick jagger and david bowie in bed
1: which yeah you know i would believe too yeah you know you know D- david bowie even said that he was a closet heterosexual mm. <laughs> you know he said that he tried different stuff just to be outlandish.
0: Yeah, I saw an interview you know? on YouTube where he said that he was bisexual.
1: Uh, you know, he said, he said he's tried to do things to, to stick out and be weird, but he's like, uh, really, I, I like chicks. <laughs> you know, he just... Yeah. But, but, I mean, that was a thing in the 70s that was, was not unheard of, but a, a different era, too. I mean, you're talking, you know, just a few years removed from free love and, you know... I mean, by the time you get to the 80s, it was, you know, and, and we're also talking Europe, too. We're not talking, you know, in the U.S., there's always been a stigma, you know. I, I mean, shit, gay people been around since fucking the dawn of time. But you know what I mean? There was a stigma here where, you know, in, in Europe there wasn't. And it was like, hey, let's try everything. But like Bowie said, he, he goes, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've done a bunch of shit, but I, I dig pussy, <laughs> you know. And, hey, I get that. I do, too. But I always knew that.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but uh then we flip this motherfucker over uh, get to side two and get to Silver Train Which is uh just a classic stone song to me that you know it 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 sounds like one of their you know their interpretation of the blues and it's a song about you know mixed relationship with a prostitute and uh this was an older song. That was, uh, they began, you know, recording it during the Sticky Fingers sessions. As a matter of fact, Johnny Winter had heard a demo of it and recorded a cover of it on his album Still Alive and Well that came out before Goat's Head Soup. And uh, it's, it's, you know, to me, it, it again, it, it's an album track. It's not a single but it's just, you know, to me, it would have fit on Sticky Fingers. It would have fit on Exile on Main Street, you know. Because, you know, again, if you look at Exile on Main Street, there's definitely songs that stick out. And then there's songs that, that don't. But again, it, it's it's part of, you know, the whole album experience. I, I think uh, Exile on Main Street, uh, you know, is, is right there with, with the wide Album and uh, The clashes London Calling as albums that deserve to be a double album. Because as we all know, there's so many double albums that don't deserve... You know, like, really, really, you don't need to make this a double album. If you would have made it a single one, you could have made a fucking blockbuster. But there's way too much filler.
0: Use your illusion.
1: Exactly. Uh, fucking... Uh, the, the Smashing Pumpkins album. Uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. I, I mean, are all bands that... You know, all albums that have... Amazing tracks, but it's like, uh, does this really warrant a double album? No, it doesn't. Uh, but again, I'm just saying it, it's one of those. It's not a standout track, but it, it's it's a good track. And you know, it, Ralph, you and I are both fans of '70s rock, and and this is a '70s rock album track. You know, it, not necessarily a single, but a good song. What do you think?
0: I think like okay now I think this album takes a turn for more bluesy shit uh, than, than what we've heard already um, I think it's catchy uh, I d- did not know her name was stuck in my head the other day right it wouldn't leave my head that that fucking verse <laughs> right uh, those lines uh, yeah it's bluesy catchy stones have always been as far as I can remember even like the real early stone stuff they were really into like muddy waters and, and Robert Johnson and shit like that, you know. And I believe they did many covers of those old blues classics, right? Like in the yeah, early yeah, years.
1: oh yeah, yeah. In the early years, uh, Stones were much like the Beatles. Uh, you know, when when you look at the Beatles era, you know, before the drugs, you know, they had a lot of covers. Stones were the same way. Uh, most of most of those early albums were half covers, half original.
0: Yeah, where the Beatles were more covering Buddy Holly and, you know, Eddie Cochran and shit like that, where right. these guys dwelled even past that. Right. To the really early stuff. So I, I think the Stones were more rooted in the blues than the Beatles were. Even though you do hear some blues, but again, you know, Buddy Holly and all that early rock and roll shit is from the blues. It's a hybrid of the blues, but... But yeah, they went even back further. So the next few songs are kind of like in this vein, and uh, yeah, I-, I like this one. It's catchy, and yeah, it does kind of have a filler feel to it. Uh, this was never played live, was it?
1: I don't believe so. No.
0: Yeah, I don't think this. You know, it doesn't sound like a song that you know. It's one of the many. You know, pretty much all songs on this. I didn't know. I didn't know any song on this album other than heartbreaker and angie the all the rest are like new to me
1: right uh, you know and what i'm saying like you know if this was screaming for vengeance this would be take these chains (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean
0: yeah 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 and i love take these chains oh i i I do never play live you know
1: right but you know what i mean it's an album track
0: yeah it's an album track so yeah I, i dig it silver train is good it's uh it's you know it's actually one of one of the better songs on this album even though I consider it kind of a filler. Um, I dig it. Okay, I'll go to the next one. Hide your love. It's another bluesy one kind of just like filler. Uh, and I dig the slow groove, but at the same time, you know this is one that you know I can either take it or leave it. Maybe you know if I listen to it more, there's sound more, which I will in the future. I'll feel different about it, but this was one of the songs that I was kind of like, it just didn't grab me, you know, but, but it wasn't horrible. I, you know, like I said, it has this slow groove that was appealing to me, but at the same time, it was like, eh, you know, I mean, but there is one song on here I like even less. There's one song on here I don't like at all. I'll get to that one when we get to
1: it. <laughs> I think we might agree on that, but uh, we'll see. But uh, as far as Hide Your Love, uh, this one I'm going to disagree with you on a lot, a lot. And I think this will be one, you know, and I know you've mentioned this uh, to me in past reviews on albums that you're more familiar with. You're saying, you know, you always tell me, as you listen to this more, I think you'll change your opinion. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's why why I'm saying, you know, this one does have the potential because I did like the slow groove to it, but as a whole, I was like, eh. So yeah, you're you're right. The more I listen to it, the more I, hey man, I, I you know Silver Train, I felt was like Hide Your Love, but now I like Silver right. Train much more because it got stuck in my head the other day.
1: Oh, and I definitely know what you mean about the chorus of Silver Train, but it, as far as Hide Your Love, uh, t- to me it's one of those hidden hidden gems on the album. And you know, as most people know, you know, when you when you fall in love with an album, there's a certain song that 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 hits you. And that'll be the one you repeat over and over again. But as time goes on, because you keep repeating it, you'll kind of, like, get a little sick of that song. And you'll start, if you keep listening to the album, there'll be a song that'll come back. You're like, wow, why didn't this catch me the first time? That's how I was with Hide Your Love. Even though I I liked it at first, through the years, it's really become that kind of standout track to me. And I just love that, you know, sometime some town down, you know, and I just love—I love the funky piano on it, which is played by uh, by Mick Jagger, which, which is rare because a lot of times Ian Stewart was playing the piano or Nicky Hopkins or you know your Billy Preston's, but this is actually Mick on, uh, on 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 piano, and I think it sounds great. It's just got that like boogie woogie feel to it, and like in a lot of the the Stones boogie woogie songs, it's always Ian Stewart who was. Originally, like, the sixth member of the Stones, because he had been with them since the beginning. But Ian Stewart was uh, older than the rest of the Stones and never dressed hip, always dressed like a dork. And he he would be on the stage with them. He'd play live with them all the time, but was always out of view. You know, in the 80s, you saw a lot of metal bands that had keyboard players that you never saw on stage. You know, Jeff Nichols with Black Sabbath. Uh, you know uh, Gary Corbett or Derek uh, Sherinian with Kiss. Uh, you know they they would have it to fill out the sound live, but it wasn't cool to have them on stage, and that's how they are they, they were with Ian Stewart. But on this one, I think it's so great that it that it's Mick, and I feel like he he had to be inspired by Ian Stewart's playing, and I think this is just it's got that fucking. That groove. I I really think you'll come around to this song, and if you don't, hey, that's okay, too.
0: Well, I can't say I disliked it.
1: There you go. But uh, then we go into Winter, which Winter was the first song that was actually recorded for the album. Now, around this time, the Stones were famously uh, uh, tax exiles. You know, that's how they got the name, Exile on Main Street, because... Uh, back then in England, the tax rates were just out of control. You know, if you recorded out there, you did it there. You couldn't turn a profit because of what you were paying. So the Stones, you know, they went to France to record "Exile on Main Street." Here, uh, they did some recording in Switzerland and Jamaica. Uh, but uh, the, it started out in, in Jamaica because Keith Richards. Uh, just found Switzerland too boring. He didn't like to fuck, he didn't like the cold, didn't like to fucking snow ski or anything like that. Uh, But the funny thing, when they started recording it, it was winter back home. But then here they're in, you know, beautiful Jamaica, you know, with this like, you know, just beach setting. But they're writing a song about home that is initially, it sounds mournful, you know, like, you know, a lot of people equate winter with, you know, death, not only of like, you know, like a, like a death season you know the, the leaves fall off everything's cold everything dies but just like you know them being away from home but at the end of the song it's almost like uh, it romances winter time is also a time of rebirth and I, I think it's a beautiful ballad it's it's credited to Jagger and Richards but Keith doesn't even play on it this was pretty much all done by Jagger and Mick Taylor and I, I really really like this song i, th- I think it's a, it's a great ballad uh nikki hopkins uh plays piano on it and uh the rest of you know bill wyman's on it charlie why everybody else is on it but no keith but uh but i dig this song and it is a grower but a beautiful song what do you think ralph
0: uh this is this would be uh my favorite one of a lot like i was saying three in a row uh, bluesy kind of fillerish, but I really really like this one a lot um, it's a bit more upbeat than the last two but as bluesy as the last two as well but uh, yeah I would say killer filler I really do like this song a lot it's one of my favorites on here um, I don't know what else to say about it like I said you know you pretty much said all these things I didn't know uh, which is good this 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 episode may have me and you on it, but it's more you. Kind of like uh, Angie. <laughs> but uh, I yeah, I dig I dig Winter. Now I'll go into the next one. All right. Can you hear the music? This is Hippie Trite. I hate this song. I don't like this one. The shit sucks. Reminds me of that Maharishi Beatles stuff where most of that Beatles stuff from the Maharishi era I love, but there were a few shit songs in there too, and I would say this is like those shit songs with the boring flute this just does nothing for me it's like oh and can can you hear the music over and over again it's like I don't think I can ever ever uh warm up to this tune because I I I don't like flutes man I, I you know it's like like I said I don't like shit you blow into but you know sometimes a saxophone is pretty good here and there and like on heartbreaker the horns are really good but Man, I haven't heard one song with flute that I like. Not one. Sorry, Jethro Tull fans. <laughs> well, uh,
1: surprisingly, we agree on this. Well, actually, um,
0: Locomotive Breath. I like the flute on that. There you go. I found right. one.
1: <laughs> I, and I was going to ask you about that, too. It's, he already answered it for me. But uh, I will say this is my least favorite, but I don't hate it like you do. Um, but but it is my least favorite, and it, and it, it goes on too long. It definitely, you know, it, it's one of the longer tracks on the album, and it should have been one of the shortest tracks on the album. This actually reminds me of uh, their "Satanic Majesty's Request," and uh, which was, you know, their answer to Sgt. Pepper."
0: Yeah, listening to this song reminds me of that album cover. Right? <laughs> is there a flute on that album cover? There is, isn't there?
1: Uh, I can't. I mean, I know they're all dressed up as wizards, and it's hologram yeah. and shit okay. like that, but. Uh, but now, why I do like uh, their Satanic Majesty's Request, uh, and I think there are some great songs on it. You know, you Kiss fans might know that album that uh, 2000 Man was on. Um, There definitely are, you know, some stinkers or lesser tracks. And this reminds me of it, and that's why it sticks out like a sore thumb on this album, because it just sounds like it's from a different era. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't hate it, but I can definitely see, like, anybody listening to this, I can see this be the one, like, either you hate or, you know, your least favorite. You know, uh, I, I I couldn't judge was Like, ah, I don't like that song. Yeah, I, 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 I can't bitch about that. Unlike the next song, which if you don't like this song, you don't like rock and roll. And that is Star Star. And it was originally titled Starfucker, much like the chorus. But uh, at this time, the Rolling Stones had already started their own label with uh, sticky figures. But it was distributed through Atlantic Records at the time. And Atlantic Records owner, uh, Ahmaud er- er- Erdogan, I know I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but I mean, le- legendary figure in music. But he's like, there's no way. You can't do that. Especially in America. You can't release uh, a song called Starfucker. So, even though it's stuck in the chorus, it was it was still uh, titled Star Star. But this is just a song about a whore than somebody who is, yes, a starfucker. And what an amazing track. On this tour and on the next two tours, the Stones, when they would play this song, had a huge blow-up dick that would come out of the stage. It was like this, just like this big, like, <laughs> you see outside a used car lot, you see that that, that thing that's just, like, dancing that the air yeah. blowing up in? That's what the Stones had, but it was a dick. Mushroom head and all. And Jagger would jump on it and squeeze it, and when he would squeeze it, confetti would shoot out of the fucking piss slit. And it was—I mean—it was just fucking amazing. And they actually got arrested in the states for doing that. I believe it was somewhere here in the south, in the Bible Belt. And they were warned uh, pre-concert: if you inflate that thing on stage, you're going to fucking jail. And I can't remember the story as it goes—if if they did go to jail that night, or I think it might have been the cops were looking for them, but they snuck the band out like right after the show and got him out of the fucking state I, I I can't remember I know it's on this a Great Stones documentary called 25 by 5 that they released around the time of Steel Wheels talks about it but what a fucking song it is so cool so rock and roll and it's even dirtier than I thought it was because you know sometimes you hear a song and you think you know the lyrics then when you read them you realize you were wrong. And, and there was what I thought was a lyric on here called, I heard about your corduroys, and that's what I call obscene. And I'm thinking like, you know, somebody's got pants with cum stains on them. But the line was, I heard about your Polaroids, yeah. which for our young listeners, you know, a Polaroid was was an instant camera. You'd take the picture, you know, you'd shake it off, and there you'd have a picture. And this was apparently about dirty pictures, And there's also a little shot at uh, Carly Simon, who, uh, you know, singer-songwriter from the 70s, that Jagger just got done having an affair with. He sang background vocals on You're So Vain," by the way, but uh, where he's kind of taking a shot at her because apparently she gave head to Steve McQueen and Allie McGraw wasn't too happy about it, his wife at the time. And uh, there's a point where he mentions Allie McGraw and I never knew that's what he said, you know. I always made out the part about uh, uh, you know giving head to Steve McQueen, but man, it's just musically it's total Chuck Berry. But but what a fucking a, a dirty song and an all-time Stones classic that you never see on Greatest Hits though. But man, I I, I, I challenge anybody who loves the Stones. Even people who don't like the Stones to not love this song if you don't like you know just strip down basic rock and roll
0: what do you think ralph yeah i love this one this would be uh my second favorite actually i could be wrong but i do remember seeing um let's spend the night together in the theater didn't they play this song in that movie i think not- they did not that
1: I, I recall, but I could be—I could be wrong. But uh, I don't—I don't I
0: could have sworn true. they did, because I know I've heard this song before. Right? Uh, which, yeah, I was saying earlier, I only knew these two songs. No, I did hear "Starfuckers" at some point in my life, because I do remember at the time going, "Wow, this is pretty like you know, X-rated, especially for 1973." I mean, talking about yeah, giving head to Steve McQueen and uh what's that other line like keeping your pussy clean or something like that
1: yeah yeah talk, uh, talking about uh heard about your tricks with pu- with fruit kind of cute i bet you keep your pussy clean yeah yeah which and- which depending on the version you have that one uh,
0: that's the uh, one I have.
1: right right well there's a version where they clearly say pussy, and then there's other ones where they got like where he oh, says really? pussy. yeah and what's unfortunate is they did a remaster a few years ago. And while it sounds great, uh, it's a censored version. It's like, wow, in this day and age. Wow. You know, yeah, you right. know that, that you would re-release something.
0: Well, maybe you and, bought it at
1: Walmart. Yeah. Well, no, no. It's just, it's one I found on the internet. But it was released live on the Love You Live album. I don't know if you heard it there on 77's Love You Live album. Maybe. I,
0: I know I've, I've heard this song somewhere.
1: Right, but uh, yeah, it was on that, but uh, wow, what an amazing track.
0: Yeah, it, start, it starts off very Chuck Berry, like that first opening notes. It's total Chuck Berry. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, way ahead of its time. It's like the uh, pre-mentors.
1: Yeah, and Joan Jett did a cover of it. Uh, I mean, they, it's it's played it up in smoke in, in the scene with Strawberry. The record skips, and it keeps repeating Star, Starfucker, Star." Fucker, Star Really? Star, Star, oh, yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah. With the with the, with the the parrot.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, see, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but an amazing track. It was released as a single, but only in France and Germany. I mean, there was no way this was getting on, uh, on AM radio in the States in 1973.
0: And that's why they called it Star Star. You couldn't call it Star Fucker back oh, then. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Even though the band would always refer to it as, as Star Fucker. You know, like anytime they talk about it, they're saying Star fucker. But uh yeah, yeah, for for Virgin Ears in the US and the Bible Belt, it had to be called Star Star. But uh oh, man, what a fucking way to end the album. Awesome. Awesome. Alright, well uh this album was released let's see, uh August thirty first, uh nineteen seventy three and uh it has gone trip uh triple platinum in the states coincidentally enough that's my son's birthday by the way nice. but uh an amazing uh, amazing album that was part of a, a golden era for the stones and what a lot of people consider you know the, the last great part of the stones uh, i mean uh, you know mick taylor would go on to leave after it's only rock and roll but uh You know they did some great stuff with Ron Wood too. I mean, I mean, Some Girls is a a great album. Uh, You know, so I I love Tattoo You. I I love almost all Stones albums.
0: Tattoo You is very special to me. That was that one. Actually, was the first Stones album I bought because of uh, Little T N A. Actually, that's what made me buy the album. But I I ended up really loving uh, my favorite track on that album is Waiting for a Friend.
1: Oh yeah, a a great song which was written uh, back around this era.
0: Oh, really?
1: Yeah, yes. And, uh, well, all the songs on Tattoo You were old songs. What happened with Tattoo You is they wanted to do a tour in 81. And they just wanted to put out an album, you know, as an excuse for the tour. So all the songs on Tattoo You were old demos and leftovers that they they just threw together to like, hey, we got to go on tour.
0: And then then it, it spawned one of their biggest hits, Start Me Up.
1: Right, right, which, uh, I mean, which a lot of people are so burned out on, but, man, you can't deny when you hear that riff to start me up. I mean, that's one of the greatest riffs of all time. Yeah. You know, it's just unfortunately burned out. But, uh, but yeah, and, and I'm waiting for a friend. Uh, that's Mick Taylor on guitar. They didn't even take his guitar track away. They used the old demo. Uh, Ron Wood's not playing on that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But I I think this is a great album. And, uh, man, it makes me sad that in this day and age, uh, you know, so much of the young generation does not care about rock and roll. And it it seems sometimes in a way that rock and roll is really on its way out. And I know we have some young listeners uh, that give me some faith. But, uh, man, I hope they go and check this out because not only do you need to know and respect old hard rock and heavy metal, you gotta know where it came from, too. You know, you gotta know your Stones. You gotta know your Beatles, you know, your Kinks, the Who, you know, your Chuck Berries. You know, all this shit is so important and laid a foundation to, you know, you know you may not hear a lot of it in metal, but it's there. You know, and this is where it all started. And, man, I, I, I miss... This kind of freedom in music, when even new albums you hear by bands you love. So much shit, while you might like it, all sounds the same. There was this freedom in the 70s where you could do whatever. And it was accepted. You know, you could take detours all over the place on, on an album. and, and, and
0: people Well, that's didn't... how radio was, man. I remember listening oh, yeah. to radio and you'd hear Casey and the Sunshine Band, Led Zeppelin... Elton John and uh, you know, like you know, Black Sabbath. All on the same station. Like, nothing was segregated back then.
1: Right. And, and, and not only radio reflected that, but albums as well. And uh man, I, I would love to see it get back to that. I don't know if it ever
0: will. It never will. We're we're too we're too categorized these days, especially the metal scene. That it makes me uh, sick. Yeah, it, it is it is
1: there's so much I don't mean to say new metal, but new metal, to where it's all, it's all one flavor, you, you know. And uh, you know, I would like to see shit mixed up. And by mixed up, I don't mean okay, you got one ballad. I mean just different types of shit, you know. I mean, you you listen to to early Black Sabbath. Those albums are all over the place, you, you know. Something like uh, uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. There is so many different styles on that one album but that's how the 70s were dude there was no rules everybody was open to new ideas and just open your mind
0: you know and, when i when i eventually do a solo album which will happen it's gonna be that way i'm gonna put all the shit i love on one album be it pop metal thrash and, uh, you know, little acoustic things and mellow shit and rock and roll. I want to make an album where it's like 100 different flavors, which I know me and only you will like. But I don't give a fuck because that's what I want to do.
1: That's all right. And I will buy it on CD and vinyl.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know if it'll ever get on vinyl. I ain't going to make that much money off it. I feel like this is going to be a bomb that I'm going to release anyway. I don't give a fuck but <laughs> uh, it will be done i already have some ideas man I, I i even have a ballad i'm gonna do which i plan on doing all it's gonna be just me and an acoustic guitar and i'm gonna play all acoustic ready wrote it and uh though i'm i need to practice it a little more to get my chops so much better that i can actually record guitar in the studio but i plan on making an album that's gonna be Yeah, like what you said, like a 70s thing. It's it's even going to have piano, man. One song, I'm thinking of piano on it. I know a piano player. I know somebody that plays violin that I would like on there. Because I love ELO and shit like that. I want a lot of elements on my song. When it's coming out, boy, I don't know. I'm totally going to pull a Chinese Democracy on this one.
1: As long as Ruben De La Rosa is on one track.
0: Yeah, no, no. Actually, he will be a lot of i love of,
1: that guy yeah,
0: a lot of my friends uh i want on it like everybody i know that are good friends of mine that that play an instrument i want on there except uh, my ex-guitar player who, uh, who i i no longer talk with anymore
1: and i hope you let me pe- i hope you let me perform the the silence in between tracks
0: yes that'll be you
1: okay cool no, I don't,
0: it'll be like a burp between every <laughs> that'll be you
1: that, that's how you know to flip it over Burp. Burp, flip yeah. it over
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> awesome well uh, yes like I said released August 31st 1973 triple platinum but it is a a, a lost record in, in the Stones catalog um, one that I wish uh, people would go back and, and, and revisit I hope a lot of our listeners do and if at, you do check out Exile Main Street as well Oh, oh yeah, Oh, there, there, well there's so many I mean check out the Stones in general but uh, this is one of those episodes I know it's way out of our wheelhouse and uh, but that's fine dude, yeah, I mean because that's that, this is the shit that Ralph and I love even though you're not this album in particular but just different types of music and that's why it is the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast because yeah. there's so much different shit we love and we want to expose people to and this might not be our Biggest uh, episode ever as, as, uh, as far as numbers. But if we could just turn one person on, man, that shit means the most to, to, to Ralph and I. If just one person checks That's it out. That's what I said,
0: dude. I said on my very first review I've ever done on YouTube, on the, it was Black Sabbath, the first Black Sabbath album. I said on that review, if I turn one person on, because I really, when I was making this review, I was like, I don't. Th- I don't know who's gonna fucking watch this. I did. <laughs> I know. I know a lot of. Now it's in the thousands, but I'm saying at the time. But I did say in the review, if I turn one person on to this, it's all worth it. And you would have no idea how many people have told me, dude. I got into Black Sabbath because of you. Or even kit I got more people into Kiss. Oh, I hated Kiss till so I saw your reviews. Black Sabbath fans. You know what I mean? Right. Where, you know, maybe there are people that'll be like, hey, you know, Dr. Fuck, listen to Stones. Maybe I'll listen to it, and then they'll end up going, well, I really like the Stones more because of Ian.
1: And, and that, that would be amazing, so.
0: I, I'm sure we will turn people, because this is a good album, man. I mean, I'm, I'm more of a fan of Exile on Main Street. That's why I'm telling people to check that one out. But this one, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it makes me want to go listen to more Stones albums, which I have them all in my computer illegally
1: <laughs> well uh, uh, Since you're talking so much about uh, Exile would you say route that could be
0: your pick of the week? No, no like, okay. I, I already I actually have a pick of the week. No, you see I don't like doing Pick of the week on bands. We just talked about okay, but I do actually have a pick of the week that I Was even prepared for this because I heard it. I have a shuffle. Oh, we're going into pick of the week now Yeah, okay I got a shuffle in my car, my iPod shuffle, and uh, this song came on, and I go, you know what? I should make this one my pick of the week because it's, it's a band that's out of the box, and oddly enough, there's a Stones cover on this album. And I'm talking about the debut album of Devo, Are We oh, Not Men. We are Devo. <laughs> yeah, that, this album is so good, so ahead of its time. It's so out there, but I love it uncontrollable urge anybody just listen to that song put on urge. it's so fucking yeah 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 it's so sporadic and crazy and their cover of satisfaction is like dude that shit sounds not like the stone it's totally original one of the greatest videos ever made if you got to see the video have you seen the video for I can't get no satisfaction from Devo Ian oh yeah Oh yeah, where the where the where the baby and the and the fork and the toaster, right? And then that punk rocker j- go, jumping and going doing a, like a a flip and landing on his head, I love that shit, dude. And and it's so I remember when I was a little kid, what and the equivalent of watching porno as a little kid for me in the seventies was watching Saturday Night Live. To me, that was porno. Because it was so, we'd stay up late at night, Saturday Night Live, and watch this, you know, this adult-type humor. Like, uh, you know, like an example, like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the skit where Superman has all the superheroes come over the house. (laughs) Yeah. Where John Belushi's the Hulk, and he walks out of the bathroom. That's supposed to
1: smell like roses. (laughs) And everybody's
0: like, ooh, and it's like, wow. I mean, that, back then, was unbelievably cutting edge. Well, they did. Back then, Devo was on Saturday Night Live, and they had a short film where I had that little baby boy. I forgot what his name was. That little guy that ran around. Maybe his name was Baby Boy. And it was just so weird, like this general guy sending him out to run around. And and then Devo showed up on the actual program playing uh, Satisfaction. I think they played uh, Jocko Homo that night, or Mongoloid, one of the two. Anyway, this is a great fucking album. It's, it's weird. It's mongoloid. Not... He was a mongoloid. <laughs> yeah, no space <laughs> junk, dude. This whole album. I, I love this whole album because it's so fucking out there. And yeah, when I was a little kid, I was like, oh, it wasn't something I would like. I was into, but I went out and bought the fucking album on their appearance on Saturday Night Live. And I've lived with this album for all these years. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I never made a uh, uh, pick of the week, but. Uh, at the same time, um, it's not really rock or metal. It's Devo. It's Devo. They 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 are in a class album, so I, I
1: think you, I think you should do a Viera vault on Dia, on Devo.
0: <laughs> yeah, I should. I should make a uh, this one because this is yeah, really I'll, the only one I really love. I mean, I have a couple other ones like Freedom of Choice, which I have uh, cool. Oh, Oh you yeah! Know, oh, the, that Bangor is one of my favorite Devo songs. The and song
1: "Freedom of Choice," I fucking love. Yeah,
0: and uh, "Peekaboo," you know that one?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah,
0: I love that fucking song. And uh, uh, "Beautiful World" is one of my favorite Devo songs too. And
1: of course, even though it's overplayed, Whippet's is still a great song. It's
0: a great song. I love Whippet, You know, and, and, you know that. Uh, we're through having fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, no, no. Time for fun. That's what it is. No. Yeah. Word through, being cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's really good is the fucking Al, Weird Al parody, Dare to Be Stupid. You yeah.
1: yep, Yeah. Yep.
0: That's, and the video is very Devo. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. That's my pick of the week. And, I, and I'm very proud of this pick of the week because it's an album that is not really in my radar of shit because I don't own any craft work. Or, you know, all that weird Depeche Mode stuff. But Devo I own, and it's so weird. But I, I it's very special to me.
1: And, and and here's a little fact you may not know. You know who really helped Devo get their start and, and get them signed and get them on Saturday Night Live? to David Bowie? Neil Young. Oh, shit. No shit. Neil, Neil Young loved Devo. He thought they were so original and so different, even though it's so, like, out of what Neil... I mean, Neil Young's done, you know uh you know a lot of people neil young's like oh heart of gold but neil young's another artist like bowie or prince that did a million different types of albums you know yeah. with different styles and he thought D- devo were so original and so amazing he put him in a movie he made uh he absolutely loved devo and was very instrumental in getting them uh signed and getting them out there
0: well you know who produced uh, this album uh, are we not men
1: uh, I, I know, but I'm having a brain fart right David now.
0: David Bowie and Brian Eno.
1: Oh, nice, yeah,
0: nice. They, they, so I guess they knew about him too. This is they debut album, but they did have an EP, Mechanical Man, in '77, a year prior. Right. But uh, this is actually this is the first time I ever heard of them. Like,
1: no, and, and that that's a great pick of the week because again, it's something out of the wheelhouse. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and it's good for
0: this show, actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, and to get people to try something different, myself. I, I, I'm taking the total reverse route And doing what Rouse said he doesn't like to do I'm picking a Stones album uh, But I'm picking another uh, Lost Stones album And that is the last one with Mick Taylor And that's It's only rock and roll But I like it And much like Goat's Head Soup It's an album that's really only known from the single And the title track in this case Everybody knows it's only rock and roll but oh my God, one of my favorite Stone songs kicks it off. If you can't rock, one of the heaviest, most kick-ass Stone songs. I mean, just uh, incredible. Uh, I think they did release as a single their cover of "Ain't Too Proud to Beg" by the Temptations. But that's actually my least favorite on the album. But uh, there's uh, you know the title track to the next time, say goodbye, beautiful ballad. One of my favorite ballads by the Stones, though. Time Waits for No One, Luxury, Dance Little Sister, uh, If You Really Want Me, Short and Curlies, and one of the most amazing Stone songs ever. A total, like, lost classic. Even if you don't check out this album, go on YouTube and and, and get Rolling Stone's Fingerprint File. Oh, my God. Is that... Uh, to me, it's like right there with fucking... Uh, uh, you know, fucking light in the black or, or fucking, you know, cashmere uh, as far as like an epic, like sprawling track, check out fingerprint
0: file. Let me and, ask you, since you're a big stones fan, what would be, cause I, I, I would like to look into this. What would be the definitive rolling stones documentary to watch?
1: Uh, the definitive one to watch that I've seen is 25 by five. Okay. Um, it was released on VHS in '89 when uh, when Steel Wheels came out, and it's it's from the beginning to uh, to the making of Steel Wheels. Uh, you know, they've released some videos since then, but to me, that is the most definitive. But as as of now, I don't think it's ever been put on uh, DVD or I wonder, Blu-ray. I wonder
0: if it's on YouTube. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. You know, I did see. I did see a documentary on the Stones not too long ago, and I can't remember what it was about, but it was the Mick Taylor era where Keith did say he wasn't too happy with uh, Go-Head Soup. Ah. He said that uh, it was a little too rushed. Well, he kind
1: of, uh, you know, in some interviews, he really kind of downplays the Mick Taylor era because in hindsight, everybody gives all the credit to Mick Taylor. Which I, I truly think he deserves. And another thing, the Stones took real personal was Mick Taylor leaving. Uh, like, how dare you leave the Rolling Stones? He quit the Rolling Stones after uh, "It's Only Rock and Roll," and he just said the Stones were killing him. I mean, when he joined, I believe he was 19, and he had made a, a name for himself playing with John Mayall's Blues Breakers, which so many English. I mean, I mean. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I believe Jimmy Page played with Eric Clapton. Uh, you, you know, all these great Mick Fleetwood, John, all these great English musicians all got their start playing with John Mayall's Blues Breakers, uh, and he was a heavy influence on that. And he was the last time that a guitar player, a lead guitar player, really had that much uh, influence. Now, Ron Wood, who's no slouch himself, by the time he joined. Keith really kind of reined it in, like, okay, you're gonna play leads, but you know, this is this is my band, you know. Where Mick Taylor was given a lot more freedom, and I think it really helped the Stones expand their sound. And it, it, it's most people who are into the Stones that's their their favorite era is is the Mick Taylor. Which get,
0: is, get your yayas out. It's a good live album too. Oh, one.
1: oh, oh, yeah. He was on that. Yeah, he joined he joined halfway through. Uh, let it bleed. There's two tracks. You know, it's it's almost kind of like uh, a night in the rut situation. There's a couple tracks with Brian Jones. The rest is all Mick Taylor. And then they did the Get your yah yahs out. Uh, you know, and he was with them through, uh, I believe, uh, 1969 through 1974. And to me, that is the greatest era of the Stones. You know, that's, you know, let let it bleed. Uh, uh, yeah, Let It Bleed, Sticky Fingers, Exile on Main Street, Goat's Head Soup. It's only rock and roll uh, as far as studio.
0: What tour uh, was, uh, do you know? The tour of Get Your Eyes Out?
1: Uh, that was the Let It Bleed tour.
0: That was like right when he joined, right?
1: Yeah, that was, that was right when he joined. And that was uh, like one of the first big tours ever in the U.S. And it was also a landmark tour uh, as far as sound. Yeah. Uh, because before, you know, you'd see these early Beatles concerts and it was like them playing with like a little, you know, what would really be considered a, a bad speaker. Like, you know, you really couldn't hear bands over the girls screaming and shit like that. You know, but the 69 tour was the first like a major PA system. You know, this is when, when touring really became, uh, you know, what it became you know with massive pa systems and, and to where people in the cheap seats can hear the music and and uh yeah the stone 69 tour was really the first tour of the modern era as far as rock and roll uh touring
0: goes and and music in general i really liked the uh, love in vain the robert johnson oh
1: yeah but my favorite on there is midnight rambler i love that. oh midnight rambler give me shelter yeah, uh yeah. a monkey man Oh my God! I mean, I mean, the list goes on, but you know, a lot of that, man. You, you got to give. Uh, you you can't just look at the at the credits on the songs. You got to look at the influence and the plane of Mick Taylor. And uh, but yeah, when he lay, he joined when he was 19, and he was a vegetarian that didn't smoke or drink. And by the time he left the Stones, he was a junkie. <laughs> you know, he's just like. Dude, I can't take being in the Rolling Stones. It's killing me. And and he really kind of went off in an obscurity. But what I love is on the last few tours that the Stones have done, they they take Mick Taylor on tour with him. Now, they only bring him out for a few songs. He doesn't do the whole set. But uh, to me, it's very special because uh, he to, he's an important part of the Rolling Stones sound to me. Very but, cool, uh, very cool. All right, now we got to go into fan of the week, and uh, you know I, I know you won't hear this this episode for a couple months after it was recorded, but uh, you know I put this thing up about like, have you been a fan of the week? Uh, haven't you? Let me know. And some people knew they were a fan of the week. Some people who were didn't know. This is why you should always listen to the whole fucking show, goddammit. it. Um, but this is one guy that. I could have swore I picked but in hindsight I think I did skip over and that's Kenneth Roy Kenneth Roy adds a lot to the page he's a great fan who's been here uh, you know damn near since the beginning Uh, very important to the page and I want to thank you and I'm sorry you weren't a fan sooner and another thing I want people to realize is you know we do a lot of uh, episodes you know ahead of time you know you when we record it you don't hear it you know the police episode sat in the can for a year so you, you know just because you don't hear your name don't you probably were already picked you just haven't heard it yet but uh kenneth uh, i'm sorry it took this long we appreciate you and you are our fan of the week
0: yeah thank you kenneth yeah i know i know kenneth uh, he's very active on the page yes and and we're not gonna have these problems anymore show uh, re, uh pl- putting up old shows because now we got a new system. We're actually gonna release shows as like in order of recording. Yes. So for now on, this this one'll be whatever we did before will be played after. So yeah, I'd say in about eight weeks this from as we're recording this, this'll be up. So yeah, one or two two months or three.
1: Alrighty. Well now we gotta go into the plug. So here we go. Listen to The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Go to all the W's,
0: Gully, gulllyandjo dot U 8 p.m. UK time, 3 p.m. Eastern. The Rock Show with Gully and Joe. Listen to it. Don't be a cunt. Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpillar.com to find out what we're all about. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to marsattacksradio.com to find out more. Music's most diverse podcast, starring Luke Innes, Greg Simpson Bootlegs, and Mr T from Germany. New episodes released every Saturday on Podbean, Podcast Addict, and iTunes. The true alternative podcast.
1: all right kiss army since 2007 you've been getting podcast the kiss audio fanzine for your ears that's right it's your podcast every month the Podkiss crew along with the kiss room brings you kiss talk like no one else whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present analysis and great kiss
0: fun hi this is jay fraley and you're listening to podcast Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the KISS audio fanzine for your ears.
1: Hey, 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 it's me, Bill Wang. Make sure you listen to the Dr. Fox show, Thursdays, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, the replay, Sundays, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on ThatMetalStation.com. Bam! Hey, 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 it's me, Bill Wang. Make sure you listen to the Wadzilla Rock Show, Saturdays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on thatmetalstation all right well if you enjoyed this rolling stones episode that was out of the box and we hope you did we hope we turned you on to something new next week's gonna be really mind-blowing where we have ex-lapd chief daryl gates
0: join us i about time i've been asking this guy forever yeah i finally know. agreed
1: and then i was like daryl what do you want to talk about he says I want to do the first body count album. (laughs) I'm like the one with cop killer on me. He's like, yeah, I love that stone
0: cold groove. Damn. So I, I I pictured a more straight out of Compton type guy, but Hey, you know, you know, yeah. Well, we already know he likes that, but let's hear
1: what he thinks about KKK bitch. Yeah. (laughs) That's next week on the rock and metal combat podcast.